0: Rest of the Lord One enters the rest of the Lord as soon as the promise of eternal life is made by Him. It is His rest one inherits in the last day. The words of the promise are enough to guarantee the inheritance. Therefore, once the promise is made, it is true enough that one has entered into the rest of the Lord. The glory of God is intelligence. The rest of the Lord is the fullness of His glory, or, in other words, light and truth of a perfect day. The only thing that stills the mind of man and brings rest from the trouble of this world is the atonement of Christ. That is why it is called the rest of the Lord. What is the rest that he offers? It is to become part of the living vine and to have him take up his abode with you. See Alma 11, paragraph 7. On the other side of the test of one's faith is the rest of the Lord. But that doesn't mean that the insecurities of mortality are removed. Only one thing changes, the one that is chosen will now know God. But he will still need to go to work and pay the bills. It does not mean retirement, nor does it excuse him from this life's labors, difficulties, challenges, or struggles. But he will know that God lives and that his life is acceptable to him. Restoration or apostasy Religion moves through two stages. In the first, God reveals himself to man. This is called restoration. It restores man to communion with God, as in the Garden of Eden. In the second, man attempts to worship God according to his last visit. This stage is always characterized by lack and inadequacy. This is called apostasy. Apostasy always follows restoration. Abraham, Moses, and Isaiah ascended the bridge into God's presence. Through Jesus Christ, God descended the celestial bridge to live with man. Those examples all show God wants to reconnect with man. Unfortunately, the participants in a restoration leave only an echo of God's voice unless they remain connected with God through continual restoration every restoration risks a lapse back into lack and apostasy. Whether the echo is preserved through a family, as in ancient Israel, or through churches, as in Christianity, some organization acts as a substitute for God's presence during apostasy. Unfortunately, organizations can only imitate God's involvement. Though Moses guided Joshua into the abundance of restoration obtained by Joshua's own direct contact with God, Israel forfeited their opportunity to do the same thing. Earlier, Abraham established a restored dynasty in Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham's was the greatest success since the time of Adam. Apostasy is the rule, restoration the exception. It is a curious failure since God declared His works and words never cease. Institutions cannot control God. As faith in God is institutionalized, it becomes part of this world and, necessarily, influenced by cultural, social, legal, and economic pressure. These forces erode faith. Religious institutions are where the ideal comes into conflict with the less-than-ideal. LDS Mormonism illustrates this dynamic. Through compromises of its ideals, the pattern unfolds in modern time. Religion has always frustrated good men. Churches fail to practice the ideal. This frustration produces reformers who reject the inevitability of spiritual famine and who long for the return of a revelatory God. Either on a collective or personal basis, the path requires motion. Man remains in motion all the time. There is no stasis, no holding a position. He advances, that is, experiences restoration, or he recedes, that is, experiences apostasy. There is no avoiding movement. It is not possible for an individual, nor a collection of individuals, to remain static. They are either involved with restoring truth or are in apostasy from it. They are never merely preserving it. Those who claim to merely preserve the truth given them are concealing the fact of their apostasy. They are soothing their conscience. Caretakers simply cannot exist. Mankind should not be misled by the language of revelations about the restoration through Joseph Smith being the last, which kingdom is coming forth for the last time. TNC 90 Paragraph 1 this priesthood given for the last days, and for the last time in the which is the dispensation of the fullness of times. TNC 124, paragraph 7. These references, and more, should be understood as most recent, as in the same language of TNC 69, paragraph 5. This is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. Just as this language does not mean there will never be a testimony of Christ after February 1832, only that theirs was the latest, likewise, the other use of last in the revelations means most recent. Restoration, the The restoration is not the property of an institution. Although dozens of churches claim the role of succeeding to Joseph Smith's true and living church, the restoration belongs to everyone. Whether one belongs to some denomination claiming Joseph as a founder or one as a traditional Christian, the things restored through Joseph Smith came from God as a gift to all. Because of this, everyone has the responsibility to remember and respect the inspired work of Joseph Smith. The Restoration is God's call to action and offer to renew His direct contact with mankind. If there is any chance of remembering the Restoration, it is now. Until the restoration is remembered, there can be no completion. God's work is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those who would like to throw mankind about by every wind of doctrine are merely teaching the commandments of men as if they were doctrine. They are not. God spoke through Joseph and expects us to remember and study what was given. God will do no more to move the restoration forward until we repent. The first order of repentance is to remember what God gave to us through Joseph. If we do that, we will find God is willing to resume the restoration and move it forward to completion. When we fail to honor what was given, God will simply wait for another generation more humble and meek than ours. The third and fourth generations have passed. The atrophy of the restoration has now brought it to an end. The Lord intends to complete what He began through Joseph. God gave us prophecy, telling what would happen, and signs have confirmed the Gentile failure. We live at the end of one era and the beginning of another. God's house is a house of order. He does it according to patterns. It is not God's purpose to abandon the restoration, but it is His purpose to preserve it, which at this moment is in terrible jeopardy the restoration must be rescued and preserved. Those who cannot detect the terrible changes it has undergone and is now undergoing are blind, indeed. Shall God forget the work he began through Joseph? Shall the downward course be permitted without him raising his hand to save it? Or should a kind and merciful God give mankind a chance to preserve it, with his assistance, if they choose to act? There are many willing to act. They only need some indication from God of how to do so. Thankfully, the pattern was given through Joseph Smith. We should follow all that has been given to us in Scripture. We should be completing the restoration, not throwing anything away. We are trying to preserve, return, and renew. Nothing given through Joseph should be discarded if it is useful, laudable, worthy, desirable, or came through the restoration. God's purpose is to preserve, not abandon, the restoration. The restoration had elements which, necessarily, involved creation, renewal, restoration of light, and newness. It was, after all, a new and everlasting covenant coming into play. I do not think Joseph drove the agenda. Nor do I think that we can drive the agenda when it comes to what heaven is working out for mankind. Instead it is the Lord's agenda, with his timing, and our responsibility to conform to it. However, it was restored for a last time, with judgment to follow after a period of probation. The time of the Gentiles is drawing fast to a close, or has closed and is now merely moribund and in need of a funeral. We are numbered among the Gentiles. So for us, the harmonic to which we should conform involves that portion of the cosmic ring involved in closing, ending, judgment, and loss. This closing down, as all cycles, will be followed again with renewal, for those who survive. The timing will shift again, and a happy new day will dawn with all the possibilities of creation anew. Of course, even inside the decline, there are elements of renewal and rebirth on an individual basis. While Noah was preparing the ark there were still those who received eternal rebirth as Genesis confirms. But the agenda is the Lord's. Always has been and always will be. We get invited to the party, but the party is his. Therefore, I continue to entertain the conviction that despite the seasons and times assigned to us, we are supposed to realize the signs of the times which are upon us and conform our own petitions and conduct to the larger picture within which we are living. When we do, we get a response. When we don't, we get silence. Restoring Knowledge There are at least three stages in the process of restoring knowledge. The first stage is to receive it. Receiving it is not the same thing as the second stage, which is to comprehend it. It is possible that a man receives something without understanding what it was that he received. Time and careful, solemn, and ponderous thoughts are required to untangle what has been received in order to comprehend what it is that one has been given. But it is altogether something of a different order of magnitude, completely separate from that, to teach it. One can receive it and comprehend it, but he may not be able to teach it. When it finally does get taught, undoubtedly it will be taught in the manner Joseph Smith was beginning to work on in Nauvoo but never finished, that is, by ceremony and by covenant. And this, too, by something given by God. It will only be established in a house that is acceptable to him. If anyone wants to know what Joseph Smith was doing in his efforts, in a whole new effort, he has to understand the birthright, sealing power, and organizing again on the earth the kingdom of God. He was trying to bring back the actual family. But he was taken at the incipient stage, because all that he was sent here to do was to lay the groundwork, to lay the beginning, to come as an Elias. Joseph came to call to the world and to give them, if they will pay attention to it, a basis for study to learn and potentially qualify for the Lord to resume the restoration and bring it to a completion. Resurrection Burial in a discourse given by Joseph Smith on April 16, 1843 in the unfinished Nauvoo Temple, the walls being only four to twelve feet high, he placed great importance on this subject and related a small portion of a vision he experienced that is to provide comfort and reassurance. Recorded by two eyewitnesses, no other accounts of this vision exist, he wished all of the saints to be comforted with the victory they were to gain by the resurrection. It is sufficient to encourage the saints to overcome in the midst of every trial, trouble, and tribulation. Though thunders roar and earthquakes bellow, lightnings flash and wars are upon every hand, yet suffer not a joint to tremble nor let not your heart faint. For the great Elohim will deliver you and, if not before the resurrection, will set you eternally free from all these things, from pain, sorrow, and death. I have labored hard and sought every way to try to prepare this people to comprehend the things that God is unfolding to me. And speaking of the resurrection I would say that God hath shown unto me a vision of the resurrection of the dead and I saw the graves open and the saints as they arose, took each other by the hand, even before they got up or while getting up, and great joy and glory rested upon them. Would you think it strange that I relate what I have seen in vision in relation to this interesting theme? Those who have died in Jesus Christ may expect to enter in all that fruition of joy when they come forth, which they have pursued here. So plain was the vision I actually saw men, before they had ascended from the tomb, as though they were getting up slowly, they took each other by the hand. And it was my father and my son, my mother and my daughter, my brother and my sister. When the voice calls, suppose I am laid by the side of my father. What would be the first joy of my heart? Where is my father, my mother, my sister? They are by my side. I embrace them and they me. It is my meditation all the day, and more than my meat and drink, to know how I shall make the saints of God to comprehend the visions that roll like an overflowing surge before my mind. Oh, how I would delight to bring before you things which you never thought of, but poverty and the cares of the world prevent. But I am glad that I have the privilege of communicating to you some things, which if grasped closely will be a help to you when the clouds are gathering and the storms are ready to burst upon you like peals of thunder. Lay hold of these things and let not your knees tremble nor your hearts faint. What can earthquakes do, wars and tornadoes do? Nothing. All your losses will be made up to you in the resurrection, provided you continue faithful. By the vision of the Almighty I have seen it. More painful to me is the thought of annihilation than death. If I had no expectation of seeing my mother, brother, and sisters, and friends again, my heart would burst in a moment and I should go down to my grave. The expectation of seeing my friends on the morning of the resurrection cheers my soul and makes me bear up against the evils of life. It is like they're taking a long journey and on their return we meet them with increased joy. God has revealed His Son from the heavens and the doctrine of the resurrection also. And we have a knowledge that these we bury here, God brings them up again, clothed upon and quickened by the Spirit of the Great God. Revelation The word revelation comes from the Latin revelar, meaning to reveal, uncover, disclose, or literally draw back a veil, unveil. And from the Latin velum, a veil. To be saved you must know God. God will speak to each of us about what is important in our lives. All things past, present, and future are continually before the Lord. God's revelations have depth and layers beyond the human mind because they originate from a higher source. The most important thing to know is the Lord's will for you. The pattern is to study scripture, ask God to help you understand, then listen to God's answer. God would like to talk directly to you. The Scriptures have a message from God for you. The greatest help given to us to solve the contradiction between praying to God and the answer being exactly what we wanted, exactly what we expected, and exactly what makes us right and everyone else wrong. The greatest guide is the Scriptures. They provide us a lifeline for measuring any inspiration we think we obtain from God. But that's not enough if it's not coupled together with prayerful, ponderous thought, and time and experience. Compare these statements from Joseph Smith about this topic, the Spirit of Revelation is in connection with these blessings having your calling and election made sure and the privilege of receiving the other comforter, etc. A person may profit by noticing the first intimation of the Spirit of Revelation. For instance, when you feel pure intelligence flowing into you, it may give you sudden strokes of ideas, so that by noticing it, you may find it fulfilled the same day or soon. I.e., those things that were presented unto your minds by the Spirit of God, will come to pass. And thus by learning the Spirit of God and understanding it, you may grow into the principle of revelation until you become perfect in Christ Jesus. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, Page 151 in Words of Joseph Smith, pages 5 to 6. That seems to suggest that answers can come suddenly, quickly, perhaps even easily. But Joseph also said this a fanciful and flowery and heated imagination beware of, because the things of God are of deep import. And time and experience and careful and ponderous and solemn thoughts can only find them out. Thy mind, O oh man, If thou wilt lead a soul unto salvation, must stretch as high as the utmost heavens, and search into and contemplate the darkest abyss, and the broad expanse of eternity. Thou must commune with God. Teen C. 138, paragraph 18, and Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 137, in March 1839. That second quote is taken from a letter that Joseph Smith composed while he was in Liberty Jail, in which he had plenty of time to fashion the language. The first quote, sadly, is taken from a source which may not be reliable or accurate. The source for that first quote is Willard Richards' pocket companion in which he quoted something which, if Joseph Smith said it, Joseph said it while Willard Richards was in England on a mission and he could not possibly have heard it. He doesn't even attribute it to Joseph Smith but when the documentary history was being compiled they used the Willard Richards companion to take that language and attribute it to a talk given by Joseph in 1839 because most of the stuff in the pocket companion can be tracked to Joseph, and therefore they conclude this one likewise fit that same category. The second one is clearly, unambiguously from Joseph Smith and describes the process. It's almost poetry, the way Joseph describes what he went through there but it is poetry describing the actual bona fides of Joseph receiving answers from God. God's most important inspiration for the most challenging subjects is often not hasty, quick and without effort at our end. Consider the advice to Oliver Cowdery that he must study it out in his own mind first before asking God to tell him the answer. Many people want a quick, perfunctory response from God with no forethought. What they receive in turn is a quick, perfunctory answer. God is almost always, for the most difficult challenges, not a short-order cook although there are certainly false spirits who are willing to be just that. It requires humility to approach God and ask Him for His answer and yet more humility to know it is from Him and not one's own ego, presumptions, hopes, desires, wants and conceit. A man is saved no faster than he gets knowledge, for if he does not get knowledge, he will be brought into captivity by some evil power in the other world, as evil spirits will have more knowledge, and consequently more power, than many men who are on the earth. Hence it needs revelation to assist us, and give us knowledge of the things of God. The scriptures are designed to reveal and conceal. They are able to reveal even very hidden and mysterious things to the understanding of mankind when one understands what is being discussed. Until the reader has been prepared for this understanding, reading the messages will not necessarily result in greater insight. It is almost as if one has to know the answer first or have it revealed to him. Then, while in possession of the truth, he can see that prophets and seers have been speaking about these matters since the beginning of time. You must understand doctrine. You must study the scriptures. But more important than anything else, you must seek to gain further light and knowledge by conversing with the Lord directly. Harmony of the whole is dependent upon His direct guidance and blessings. You simply cannot move forward a piece here and a bit there while neglecting the whole composite picture of the gospel. He will open it to your view. He will show you how one part is related to another, and that to another still, so that it all moves forward together. It is not to all be comprehended at once. It is to be gained a little bit of the whole here, a further harmony of things there, until the whole moves forward together. Always moving in balance, in harmony, and as a complete magisterial revelation of God's will. The riches of eternity are offered by the Lord to all and to each one directly. It does not come from learning secrets from someone else. It comes by following the path. You do not need anything more than a description of the path. Follow it. Until you follow it, the heavens will remain shut against you. As soon as you follow it, you will have the results you would like to have. Curiosity about sacred details that the scriptures repeatedly warn are not lawful to put into writing here in this fallen world reveals an immaturity that should be overcome. If you want the details, learn them from the Lord directly, without an intermediary. Teachers are commissioned by the Lord to reiterate the path by which they are to be obtained. He does not send someone to do the work for you. Indeed, you either do the work for yourself or it remains undone, forever. Revelation from heaven is also a revelation of oneself. For as one sees him, he sees most clearly how very limited and dependent he is upon him. One cannot be prideful after seeing himself alongside him. C T N 159, paragraph 6. Joseph Smith said, All things whatsoever God in His infinite wisdom has seen fit and proper to reveal to us, while we are dwelling in mortality, in regard to our mortal bodies, are revealed to us in the abstract and independent of affinity of this mortal tabernacle, but are revealed to our spirits, precisely as though we had no bodies at all.